January 15th, 2020, and Kingdom Casts coming at you once more with reviews, news, spoilers on this week's comics and comic book news and all that good stuff. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. I'm just going to start off by saying I am in a bit of a mood this week. So if I come across as, what's the word I'm looking for, pissy? (laughs) It's due to lack of sleep (laughs) and stress with personal matters. I'm making my excuses ahead of time for when I hurt feelings when we start talking about (laughs) it. I I think people expect you to (laughs) say what's on your mind, but me, I don't do it as much. (laughs) How's your week been? Long, I guess. How's 2020 working out for you so far, 15 days in? 2020? Oh, I think of that TV show. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> now we're, we're... It literally feels like this. it should already be December again. <laughs> I agree with you, man. This is just freaky first 15 days here. At, Nothing... the, at, the, at the end of August, we'll either be like on Mars or living in the Stone Age again one. So. Oh, God. You know, this year is going to just drag out in all the wrong places. First off, it's a leap year. We've added an extra day for no good reason. Those assholes. (laughs) That's right. Something about keeping the calendars correct. Secondly, it's a damn election year. We got till March before all the bullshit hits the fan. We've lost the rest of the year. Cause yeah. that's all we're going to be discussing is election, election, not us, not us. I mean, not kingdom cast. Is it fair to say that neither of us really give a damn? Not in any way that matters, I suppose. What are we going to do? We're two comic book guys. No, you're not coming here for your political opinion yet. <laughs> we're going to vote third party where it really counts. That'll really get our voice out there. (laughs) I've been writing in my dad's name for the last several years. (laughs) If he can cut down trees in my backyard at age 70, (laughs) imagine what he can do for this country. He'll cut that debt down. Cut that debt down. (laughs) Did I tell you that? Take an axe to the deficit. We were we seriously had a tree leaning too close to the house. Denise and I had a plan to cut it down. Upon hearing that I had a plan to cut a tree down, my dad immediately intervened and came over and, oh, no, son, we'll cut it down together, which, you know, meant you stand here, you do this, you tighten this, you pull on that, blah, 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 blah. No, you're not touching the chainsaw. (laughs) My dad is like the human Wile E. Coyote. I cannot tell you enough stories about this man just barely escaping death in front of my eyes, let alone what his life, you know, when he's not in front of my eyes is like, but we were in the backyard and after we got that main tree down, I thought, okay, this wasn't so bad. We didn't, we didn't even remotely come close to death. This was great. And then dad looks around and says, I'm taking that tree down too over there. So after about 25 minutes of setup, 30 minutes or so of prep, we take that second tree down. And when he hears it crack, he turns to look at me and he's got this, he's wearing a ball cap and he's got this look on his face like, you know, manly men, just so zealous. And the tree is falling toward him. And I start screaming, get out of the way, get out of the way. I jump one way, he goes another at the last possible second and it takes his ball cap off and his ball cap's under the tree. We do eventually 
Yeah, he's, I mean, that just absolute kills me. He never once, he heard that tree crack and he completely turned his back on it and looked at me and smiled like, <laughs> yeah, God will take care of the rest. Job well done. <laughs> I showed that tree. I, I mean, this was months ago. I still have scratches and sores on my legs where that tree ripped my pants through me. <laughs> well, anyway, enough about my tree bullshit. Let's get on to <laughs> let's get on to other things. We've got a pretty good bit of news here. We're going to start with some light media news, and we'll cover it more in depth on Media Mess. And yes, Media Mess with Sandra is coming back. And yes, we are going to have the. Star Wars thing. We'll get into that in a few minutes. HBO Max is not just having Strange Adventures and the Green Lantern series on it, but also Aquaman animated series. Yep. Said about it today. Said it was kind of going to be an Aquaman Year One animated series on HBO Max. Since it's year one, I'm going to assume that it starts with Atuna shoots his parents as they leave the concert hall where Poseidon's daughters were performing. That's not even remotely correct. <laughs> That's Namor's origin. Does Warner Brothers own the right to Charlie the Tuna? <laughs> they may do it. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what food conglomerates Warner Brothers owns. <laughs> no, they own uh, Jabberjaw, don't they? Yeah, they own Jabberjaws. Oh, God, yes, they own Jabberjaws. And I started to say Josie and the Pussycats, but I don't think they actually own Josie and the Pussycats. I think Archie Comics owns Josie and the Pussycats, yeah. and Hanna-Barbera was just licensed yeah. to do Josie and the Pussycats. But yes, they own Jabberjaw. Ooh, Jabberjaw. Well, they did that in the comic books already, so that kind of takes the novelty off. I forgot about that. Remember, they, they did those specials? Yeah, that's right, they did. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, look, back in the 70s, they teamed up Aquaman with Jabberjaw. This was like, what, two weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was recent. Some of them were pretty good. Yeah, there was a couple of them that weren't bad. Daffy Duck and the Joker, that was interesting. I, I didn't care for that one. I didn't neither. It, it, that, was, that was some weird properties. But they've announced Aquaman, year one animated series on HBO Max. Greg Berlanti, he was the Arrowverse showrunner. I think that was, I don't know if showrunner was the technical term, but he was basically in charge of the Arrowverse on the CW. He had tweeted something about both of, let's see, both Strange Adventures and Green Lantern. Both of these original DC properties we'll be creating for HBO Max will be unlike anything seen on television, an anthology series of cautionary tales set in a world where superpowers exist. And in what promises to be our biggest DC show ever made, we will be going to space with the Green Lantern television series, but I can't reveal anything more about that yet and i know that's old news but greg berlanti is heading this how do you feel about that the arrowverse showrunner i'm fine with that i mean they do a good job on the tv stuff for the most part so well, the crisis came to the end did you see all of crisis i haven't seen all of it i've seen most of it okay well you got to catch up on it before we do the next uh media mess because i've seen all of it pal and i'm here to tell you i've got things to say just like you got things to say about star wars i'm sure <laughs> i do I have a lot of things to say. And so far, I've kept my mouth shut through all these podcasts not to mess it up. I appreciate that, too, because we want the element of surprise in this. In addition to those three things, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Strange Adventures, or Strange whatever it is, there's a teen comedy with literal superheroes and villains. 
according to the release called DC Superhero High. And this isn't like that cutesy little thing that they put out for the young readers in comic book shops, but this is a Elizabeth Banks situation. She's producing this. She imagines life in high school for some of our favorite superheroes. Didn't Disney do this years ago and call it Sky High? That movie with uh, Kurt Russell? Russell? Yeah. That wasn't a bad movie. No, not for what it was. It that, wasn't. That's an okay movie. I sort of liked it. I'm just not, I'm, I don't know how anxious I am to see Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman in the same high school together. What was that? Uh, didn't MTV do something like that called Clone High or something? There, somebody pitched a Batman, a Gotham High series a while back, and it got so far as concept art. And it had the rogues gallery of villains hanging out there. And it had a teenage Batman and a middle school Dick Grayson and a middle school Barbara girl. It was really weird. It was a really weird pitch. And it wasn't surprising that it never got past the sketch stages. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to turn out. On one hand, Elizabeth Banks is damn funny. On another hand, Elizabeth Banks gave us uh, the last incarnation of charlie's angels and then blamed everybody else when it went south no that's what you do in hollywood you just blame everybody that's what i do anyway too i just blame everybody else (laughs) works out pretty good so far (laughs) who are you blaming (laughs) i don't i don't know whoever's standing closest to me at the time (laughs) i just point to him was like that that person did it right there that's not the right philosophy to have, dude. When I was at the store, when I'd be at the store by myself and something would go wrong. <laughs> so long as I was by myself, it was a 50-50 shot where when I was in the, with a customer and something would go wrong, whether or not I would yell out, damn it, Albert, or damn it, Jason. <laughs> I'd usually look at the customer. I'd be like, listen, man, you, you see what I'm working with here? <laughs> Come in on Friday mornings and talk to the guy. That... <laughs> well, you see, that's the strategy to have, man. You don't blame people that can defend themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how Superhero High turns out. I still haven't seen Harley Quinn, but I'm hearing I'm hearing more good things than I am bad things about it. Apparently, the target audience is accepting it. I don't know. I just don't. I'll, I'll watch it. I haven't sat down and watched it, but what I've seen just doesn't do anything for me at all. No, none of the none of the stuff. But I'm, I got to tell you, I've only seen the previews to the Harley Quinn animated series on the DC Network. I feel about the previews to that the same way I feel about these three previews that we've gotten to birds of prey due out next month birds of prey just doesn't like it doesn't look production quality doesn't look that good i keep going back to the term heroin chic i do not like heroin chic being sold first off you've already got people emulating these bad guys joker and harley they go on their facebook page or their uh, instagram page and say relationship goals and show pictures of joker and harley are them dressed as joker and that's not relationship goals that relationship is a, goal is harley and poison ivy that's a good relationship that, oh, that's a that's a much better analogy it's something i'd be more comfortable seeing because this is in a messed up situation here but they continue to i don't know i i'm hoping it's i don't margot robbie is a great actress i really enjoy i think she's really gifted i loved her in once upon a time in hollywood what was the other thing she was in will smith with not suicide squad but there was another underrated movie it wasn't a great movie but it wasn't a bad movie but her and will she smith was, was in wolf of wall street yeah 
She was good in that. That was the first I mean, time I ever saw her in anything. Her her feet was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> There's some other stuff. I don't know. It was kind of a con movie with Will Smith. Her and Will Smith did before Suicide Squad came out. They had good chemistry together. It wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't a great movie. I'm not no, saying She's a good I, actress. Yeah. She really is. Anything she's been in. I just, I just don't know why the Harley Quinn thing. We've only seen her in the one movie. This movie will, for better or for worse, tell us the cinematic character of Harley Quinn's going. Moving on to a few other things. Image thinks there are too many titles and that it's overwhelming specialty shops, i.e. comic book stores, says Image Exec has Image announces more titles. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's how Image does it too all the time. Well, no, he was, when he said that in the speech he was giving wherever he was at, when he said that, he was quick to say, and yes, I am including Image in that. Now, also, to be fair, though, were you aware that out of the top 100 selling graphic novels from these specialty shops, the comic book stores, 51 of them were from Image? Yeah, that sounds about right, probably. Yeah, 51 of the Because a top... lot of them would, yeah, because a lot of them would be like volume one. Yeah. Then you'd get like volume two through five in there too. That's significant. I think that left, Marvel only had like eight or nine and uh, what's that other company's name? DC. DC had 30 of them. Yeah. Marvel made sense because at the store in Marvel, you just didn't sell. DC, you would actually sell the runs of stuff. Yeah. Like in Marvel, we never we never really sold runs of stuff. Here's some random X Men trades, and st- you know, here's Dark. Infinity Gauntlet and Civil War, and you know, things like Dark Phoenix or God Loves Man Kill. Deadpool's did okay, and some of the Wolverine stuff did good too. And that that was really about. There was one Hulk trade did it with the, that you'd sell, and it was uh, Hulk the End that had Hulk the End and Future Imperfect in it, and that was World War Hulk or Planet Hulk too. And that was sort of you know, most of the characters you didn't sell any runs on them at all. No, no, you didn't. You didn't, you didn't. And it looks that way at DC, too. It's just that DC has more of those one-off titles like Dark Knight, Watchmen, Why the Last Man. Well, they have evergreen titles. Marvel doesn't yeah. have any evergreen titles. Yeah, or Marvel has very few of them. You could yeah. always sell Secret Wars or Infinity Gauntlet and yeah. uh, Dark Phoenix and God Loves Man Kills. And the uh, and the ones you mentioned, Civil War, the whole, yeah. You could always sell those, but... DC has more of those because DC had the more diverse. It's not necessarily the superhero situation either. It's because DC had the more diverse lineup. Well, they have the archetypes. You can take Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman and take the base character of them and stick them in a whole lot of different things as far easier than you could Marvel characters and still that's still Wonder Woman, that's still Batman, that's still Superman or whoever. And most of their stuff, too. You look at some of their best-selling trade paperbacks of those. All-Star Superman, Wonder Woman Earth One, and Dark Knight. Those are alternate reality takes on those characters that were the evergreen titles. Red Sun. They were more freer in that age of creativity. But I also want to point out that all of those, none of them have come from the, the Didio, the reign of Didio. The ones we're talking about at DC, because the first thing he did was cut out the Elseworld stuff. And that was where you got some of the best stories from. Whether or not it's in continuity or out of continuity, those were wonderful stories. I really love All-Star Superman sitting here saying it over and over again. (laughs) A couple of other things from that. Saga is returning in 2020. Several people have written in or asked me, is Saga coming back? 
I, it was supposed to come back last August. Yes, Saga is returning in 2020 along with Die, Die, Die and one of Jason Aaron's books called The and Cover Your Kids Ears. Is that finally is, coming out again? Yeah, The Goddamned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so sorry about that. That's the title. It's not me describing something. Send all of those complaint letters to Albert. <laughs> Yeah, the guy at Image, the executive Image, said that he that, that his company, that Image, is working on reducing the number of new titles coming out, and they're getting very picky about what they choose to do and what they what makes it out and what doesn't make it out. Some Marvel news here: Wolvie and Spidey need new action figures, so Marvel uses the retread company-wide event Empire to slap them into new Fantastic Four costumes while the normal Fantastic Four goes to space. My question to you, Albert, is are the Fantastic Four really so egotistical as to believe that they need fill-in superheroes when all four of them are absent? Didn't uh, we all get along fine for several years after I Super mean, Wars? They go to space and pocket dimensions all the time. Why would this be any different? Again, Wolfie and Spidey need new action figures, so... Have you seen the design on those costumes? No, I just learned about it just now. The art is fine. I, I like the artist on the costumes, but the costumes themselves, they're blue and black with the four symbol. So imagine Wolverine's dark brown and tan outfit from post-Dark Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, they're going to stick a yeah. Hulk character and Ghost Rider on it too? No, no, no. Apparently the Fantastic Four consists of Wolverine, Spider-Man, and the kids, Valeria and Franklin. Uh. I thought it was Valeria. I always thought it was Valeria. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, those two kids, Reed and Sue's kids, and Wolverine and Spider-Man. Is this just some elaborate way that Reed and Sue are getting Wolverine and Spider-Man to babysit by telling them, oh, we need you to fill in in the interim? If it is, I'm down for that. If we're lying to Wolverine and Spider-Man and having them babysit the kids by thinking that they're filling in, for, and I'm using air quotes here, for the Fantastic Four while they're away, that's a series I'm on board for. But if we're being serious and saying we're going away, the Fantastic Four is going into space to deal with this Empire situation, and Wolvie and Spidey and these two kids are now the Fantastic Four, then I'm not as on board. I'm on board for a wacky adventures and babysitting involving Wolverine and Spider-Man and those two kids. I'm not on board for anything else. Hmm. I don't know. It, it, it could be good. It could be good. I just saw the costumes and I thought all y'all want is new action figures in a market that's not really selling any new action figures. Also, Marvel has decided to go ahead and run Hickman's X-Men by demanding another company-wide X-Men crossover event, Dawn of X. Dan Slott immediately took advantage of this by tying Wolverine to the flaming bag of feces that is Iron Man 2020. <laughs> Are you aware of either the Dawn of X? We've got a new... Yeah, I knew that. I knew they were talking about it. No, just please don't. Please don't run Jonathan Hickman off people. Are you going to try? Please don't dilute the chain of command here. Just let make sure that Jonathan's on board with everything. And you need him to continue this for more than 12 months. I'm not excited that I'm hearing there's more X titles coming. We knew there was a Wolverine title com coming and all. And then there's another Wolverine title called I Wolverine, as in iPad or iPod or iTire. Is it spelled like that? Yeah. Or is it I comma? No, no, it's I Wolverine. As in, I overused. Yeah, and that spins out of 
Iron Man 2020, which we'll get to when we start reviewing the comic books here. But before we get to that, what the hell is the deal with those cogs on his shoulders? Well, that's the way they drew him originally, so they got to draw him again no, now. No, no, no. In, in the Michelinie created Iron Man 2020, those cogs were manageable. They weren't that thick. You can't put your arms down by your side with these cogs. Those cogs look ridiculous. In the past artwork, whenever he showed up, whenever it was Antonio Stark from the year 2020, the costume was reasonable. They were there, but they weren't that thick. This is just... Anyway, let's move on. You you want to do a few Lister questions here that I've let stockpile a while? Sure. <laughs> I want to answer for those damn cogs by the end of this podcast, Albert. Maybe it's just artist interpretation. Dude, I understand artist interpretation. And look, the art... We'll talk about it when we get to Iron Man 2020. Okay. okay. We're going to start off with an email by Chris B. I have a question about Tom King's Batman, your opinions on it. If the book is as bad as you say, why isn't it losing sales? It's not the best Batman run, but I don't think it's the worst. I enjoy listening to you, even if I disagree at times. Chris B. Because people are going to buy it because it's Batman. That was my initial thought, is that Chris, 16 years at Kingdom Comics, it's fair to say that the Batman sales were always the Batman sales. It might go up 10%, but it never went down by 10%. No, yeah, it pretty much stayed. I used to make the joke that you could take the artist off Batman and draw stick figures. And so long as one of the stick figures had the little cowl and the cape and a batarang, this would be avant-garde and the Batman fans would still pay $3.99, $4.99, $5.99 for the book. I'm not bashing Batman fans, but I also did a little research, Chris. In 2018, and I took three months from 2018 and 2019, in October of 2018, Batman number 56 was the number one selling book. Topped everything that month. Just a standard issue of Batman. In November, Batman, standard Batman issue, was the number six selling book. In December... Standard issue of Batman was the number five selling book. Now, I didn't go years back, but when the store was active and I would monitor these with a fine-tooth comb, I don't, uh, very few times did Batman ever drop below number 10 on that list. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah. Okay. October 2019, Batman number 80 placed at number 21. On the sales chart. November 2019. Another issue of Batman. Placed at number 9. On the sales chart. December 2019. Batman 85. Placed at number 12. On the sales chart. You're kidding yourself. If you don't think the. If you don't think the. People at DC that pay attention to this sort of thing has not noticed that change from 2018 to 2019. Well, that's why they cut his run short. Yeah, oh, they cut it short. I thought he. I thought he was scheduled to leave with Batman number 80. Whatever. Oh, he is supposed to do 100. Oh, was he? Yeah. Was he? Well, okay. There you go, Chris. And I'm not saying this to say, ah, ha, ha, ha. We're right. Batman's going to do whatever Batman's going to do, but it would scare me snotless if I still had the store and saw that Batman numbers dropped by 10% over the course of a year in the store with us not losing subscribers. 
So that would be of great concern to me. But apparently, yeah, the cells aren't as great as they have been. Batman's Batman, and he's always going to do, that book is always, that is the main Batman book, and it's always going, you have to work real hard to lose readers on that book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man, let Peter Parker say the wrong thing to Mary Jane or the Black Cat, and you've got Spider-Man fans that'll boycott it for a year. Yeah, Batman's not like that. Batman fans aren't like that. Batman fans are there. And it's hard to shake them off. Currently, Amazing Spider-Man is consistently beating Batman in the sales department. They're usually within five points of each other, but Spidey's been hanging up there pretty high. So I hope that answers your question. I'm not knocking, like I said, I'm not knocking Batman fans. They're loyal, but it takes a lot to knock readers off Batman books. Well, thank you, Chris B. And we're going to move on to listener Jason G. Jason G asks, will you be doing a Star Wars Episode Nine show before Episode Ten hits? Well, Jack SG, oh, I mean, Jason G, yes, yes, we will. I'll try to have that for you no later than the end of this month. (laughs) (laughs) We got like 15 days left, so. (laughs) Yeah. So just hang in there, Jason G. We're getting to it. Events have conspired against Albert and I in the first 15 days of this month. We weren't able to hit the ground running like we wanted to, but we're about to hit it and hit it hard. The ground, that is. <laughs> Anything to add to that, Albert? No, not really. Jenna M. has written in and says, As of 2019, which of the big two, or if you think one of the other companies fit into the category, do you consider to be delivering the overall better comics? Not just who wins and sells, but who's giving us the better stories. Love the show. Keep my Albert fix coming. Jenna M., well, Albert, you take that one. Who do you think? She says big two, but then she says, or any other company. Well, I think Marvel. Well, no, said the wrong company. <laughs> I think I think DC's doing a better job of getting more stories out there that are great comics that are different from one another. Like Green Lantern was is different from Doomsday Clock, which is different from Jimmy Olsen, which is different from Batman White Knight. So I give it to DC just just a slight edge because they're doing different out of continuity books. As far as mainline stuff, I think Marvel's better at them than that because things like Immortal Hulk and and Hicksman, and the X Men runs very very good right now. The difference is Marvel is letting their writers do something, but but all sort of exist in their own bubble. Where DC's writers are all doing their own thing, and for some reason we have to acknowledge what other writers are doing, despite the fact that King Snyder and Bendis aren't going to be respectful enough to the other books that to, to have them properly be reflected in their titles. That's a very well thought through answer for something you just were asked. My opinion is that, so you're saying DC. DC is because certain things like something like, you know, Batman, as much as I love Immortal Hulk and Hickman's X-Men, they, I don't think they got anything to go against Batman White Knight. Considering most like how much Joker, Harley Quinn, Batman crap we need on the black label stuff to black label, you know, Marvel's got nothing like that. I think Marvel needs something like that. It came down for me, and when I read her question, I was thinking, what am I most excited about? And then I counted the things that I was most excited to get my hands on to read. 
Marvel came out ahead. That's because I, I'm loving X-Men. I'm loving New Mutants. I'm loving Immortal Hulk. Doctor Strange is on point. I mean, these are the titles I'm looking forward to. I like the opening to the new Thor. I agree with you that they need something like a black label line or something along those lines where you can take liberties with the characters outside of continuity. I would love to see that. On the DC side, Jimmy Olsen was the thing that came in first. I didn't really count Doomsday Clock because Doomsday Clock is over and it really just took so long. As much as I loved it, it really just took so long. I do like the White Knight series. I think that's outstanding. But Marvel came out ahead with me simply because they have the n number of comics that I look forward to reading the most right now. And that's subject to change because it, it, I'll be honest with you, it comes in really close. I almost started measuring it against the comics I'm not looking forward to reading. And if I had done that, DC may have come out ahead simply because they're publishing less. So that's my answer. Albert's saying DC, I'm saying Marvel. And I think we're both going to tip our hat to Image Comics but I don't think Image is just turning out the volume. And, and, and again, it's mostly hit or miss with Image. Is there an Image comic that's standing out to you that I'm overlooking at the moment other than Undiscovered Country? Not that I can think of. I mean, there's Image has Ed Brubaker. Yeah. And I'll always read Ed Brubaker's crime books. But that's something we don't even cover those here because it's just something that's not... You oh, know, it has. Thing, yeah, just so. not. Well, I will make it a point to cover it here. I just haven't been paying attention. Okay, so that's our answer. Albert's going with DC. I'm going with Marvel. And we're both acknowledging that everybody has good stuff out there, everybody has bad stuff out there. I hope that answered your question, Jenna. Taking this next one from Terry Kay, kind of personally, is Stan 50 years old? I've listened to the show, and he references being 12 or 13 when X Men 141 came out in January 81. I've met Stan and he really does not look or act 50. Is it some sort of a genetic disorder? Just curious, Terry K. Terry goes, language edited for your protection. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving right along. <laughs> God, I, don't worry about it, Terry. <laughs> don't worry about it. Why the hell do you never discuss Spawn, Manuel G? We did discuss Spawn, then we missed Spawn number 300, and then we meant to go back and do a special Spawn 300 episode, and it just never happened. We got caught up. We are not against Spawn. I remember doing reviews on Spawn. I think it was 298 and 299. Yeah. Yeah, we just, I, it was just a complete brain fart that we missed 300. When I put the list together from, from Diamond Comics, I don't know how I overlooked it. We have nothing against Spawn, and I know Spawn number 304, I think, came out this week, and we did not review it, but we will make it a point to talk about Spawn when number 305 comes out next month. Uh, apologies, Manuel, and to anybody, to any other Spawn fans out there, that's just, it's just been an oversight. It gets kind of difficult. We end up having two hours two hours and 20 minutes of the podcast that Albert and I go back and forth on, and I'm trying to edit it down to anywhere between 60 and 90 minutes. Some things do go by the wayside, but we have not clipped out Spawn. We just haven't talked about him. Okay. Now, this is a good question, and I think I know the answer, but I'm relying on you to know it more. Mitchell H. asks, does the Hicksman... X-Men, run, assume that Wolverine's claws are no longer heated. If so, good, 
that was stupid Mitchell H. Yeah, I don't think they've acknowledged his stupid he did calls at all. I'm willing to bet that if, if you ask Jonathan Hickman, the way Wolverine came back was he came back, he was one of the pod people, and that's how they brought him back. We have not seen Wolverine's lightsaber adamantium claws since Hickman has taken over X-Men. You know, if they want to explain it away, they can just say when they all got blown up on the ship and brought back to life, that was the end of it. Yeah, I'm good with that, too. I'm good with it just being the way Wolverine came back. That was a tremendous waste of paper, the whole return of Wolverine thing. What did, though? I mean, you think about that. Who in editorial, they had to have known in editorial as they were approving these Return of Wolverine books that Hickman had. Surely to God, they knew that, right? Somebody in editorial could have said, wait a minute. I mean, but that's money is money. And okay. Remember that Uncanny X-Men run right before Hickman's run? Oh God, that was awful. They just threw it underneath the bus halfway through and that I, and that writer was like, screw it. I'll just do what I want to. Yeah, and that started off promising, too. Mm -hmm. Then he killed everybody, and it doesn't matter. Clearly, he knew that the resurrection factor in the Hickman X-Men was coming up. So he was just killing everybody left and right. Let's see. Last two questions. We got just listening to you guys. This comes from Alex F. Just listening to you, you guys, what are the chances they would reboot movie Superman and let Todd Phillips, the director from The Joker, do a Luthor movie? You guys are great. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Alex F. We've had too many movies with Luther in it at this point. Really? We've, I mean, technically we've had too many movies with Joker too, but they seem to always do well with my character. Let's see. He was in three of Christopher Reeves' movies. Well, he was okay, in the but, Brandon Ralph movie. He was yeah. in Batman vs. Superman. Okay, but you've got an entire new generation that hasn't... Yeah, that's right. He was in Batman vs. Superman. God, I'd forget. I had... I had stored that into the into the recesses of my mind and those boxes, you know, where you're keeping the lost Ark of the Covenant and all the other nasty secrets. I had for completely forgotten Luthor was in that movie. <laughs> all I remember about that movie is the last act is just Excalibur redone. <laughs> I had completely forgot Luthor was in that. that what's that kid's name? Jason, Jesse Eisenberg? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, he got off of that set and he said, quick, 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 can we do a zombie world too? <laughs> somebody bail my career out of this Todd Phillips I don't think whether or not they reboot Superman and I'm hoping they do I don't think whether or not they reboot Superman determines whether or not Todd Phillips can do a Luthor movie I think Todd Phillips could get the go-ahead to do a Luthor movie if he wanted to at this point yeah I mean after the Joker money they'll pretty much sign off on whatever he wants yeah they'd give him the go-ahead on that that's a good question though Alec I'd like to see not a Joker take on Luthor because we got that in Batman versus Superman but a serious take on Luthor where Superman was secondary uh, Luthor's rise and everything I'd love to see that well, Albert, we're going to move right on from the questions and into comic book reviews. Let's shake it up this week. Rather than start with the independence, let's start with DC Comics. What do you say? That'll work. What do you want to start off with? League of Extraordinary... Uh, League. Insert bad word here. I do it every damn time. Legion of Superheroes? Freedom Fighters? Batman's Grave. The Legion. Okay, Legion of Superheroes, number three. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, artist Travis Moore. Albert, what was your take on it? Th does this book have a plot? Something to do with Aquaman's pitchfork. Well, they want Superboy to watch this video. Does it really have to take like six issues for him to watch some video? We really need you to watch this video. 
this is so very, very disjointed. It really is. Not only was it disjointed, we were promised something that doesn't remotely happen or pay off. I was looking forward to this because Superboy made the dumb butt mistake of bringing Damien, Robin, Damien Wayne, into the 30th century. And I was ready for all sorts of shenanigans to ensue. Boy, they didn't even give us that. Well, see, I thought it'd be cool if Damien did like the equivalent of the of the uh, sports almanac from Back to the Future. <laughs> where he stole, he went in the files and got a bunch of like history of Gotham and, and all this super crime. And so he just went back in the past and, and took care of all of it before it happened. And, and you know what? To me, if that had happened, that would have justified a Robin spinoff series. Yeah. When he goes back to the past and he starts actively using that book, I would have been the first to sign up. For that. That would have been awesome. I was really looking forward to Damien being in the 30th century, and I really can't tell you why. I just thought, this is going to be cool. This is a good idea, Bendis. I know it's taking more attention away from the actual Legion of Superheroes, which is the title of this book, but I'm for that. I want to see this happen. We didn't get anything out of this. This was just a tease and a letdown. Could have had a few fun pages, at least, before Saturn Girl butted in. Yeah. I just don't care for the Damien grows up to be Hitler or bad or something, or, or blows up Gotham stuff they always do. For the record, you brought up Hitler first. He's mentioned... In Legion, Hitler is mentioned in Legion of Superheroes. I refuse to believe that in the 30th century that Hitler references are still relevant. Surely to God, we've come up with a better jerk by the 30th century to be referenced in that manner. Well, you would hope not, because if you did, something bad would have had to happen. Do you, honest to God, think that Hitler will be a legitimate reference in the 30th century? Given No, we have, well, in that universe, they would reference like Darkseid. Lex Luthor. Yeah, you know, or some other cause, some other big thing. They would, Hitler Vandal would, Savage. would not be the reference that it is in our world. It would be, it, yeah, it would be a replacement of like yeah, Vandal Savage, Dark Side, big baddies, or that would be around for a long time to continually screw with stuff. Vandal Savage would have been a perfect reference right there. I think this is further proof that Brian Michael Bendis did not read any DC books before going over. No, he didn't. That just struck me as odd. How does? And it was an alien too. It was one of the alien. How Hitler really? Are you that bereft? The earth is destroyed and you're all living in little pods around the core, but Hitler is still relevant. And I don't mean to reduce the relevancy of Hitler. I'm talking about in the 30th century. It, this line just stood out to me. It, it's not good writing. If something catches you on, off guard about that. I really think Bendis needs to study what Hickman is doing in New Mutants and copy that. I'm going to yeah. go ahead and blatantly say it. Copy it. Take a team of five of the Legion of Superheroes have one storyline, tell three issues of it, jump to another team of four, tell three issues of that storyline, jump back to the first team. Yeah, I really do think that formula would work wonders on this book. It comes across as too convoluted to be enjoyable to me. And I'm mad. I'm really legitimately mad about the Damian Wayne in the 30th century thing. Yeah. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Not something fun that, that didn't happen. They just put him asleep and that was that. Yeah. Put him asleep, called him Hitler, put him back. Look how Damian Wayne is raised. You know, Bruce and Batman as his dad. He, his family, he considers like Alfred, Dick Grayson, Todd, Drake. Uh, his best friend is Superboy, whose dad is Superman. He doesn't have, all, like, just because his biological grandfather is Razor Ghoul. He's not predisposed to be that. All, all his influences are the most 
positive influences you could get in the DCU outside of us. Uh, he has, I don't think he's interacted, interacted with Wonder Woman much to where he just wouldn't turn out that way. You but know? he has with Supergirl. Yeah. So his influences are, are all some of the better influences out there, you know, yeah. character wise and moral wise and, and all the DCU. This whole thing was a cheap ratings pull. <laughs> yeah. Super Sons are back together again in the 30th century. And no, it's not really happening. We just wanted a couple of you Damien fans to buy the book. I gave the writing a two. I should have given it a one because this was a cheap trick, Bendis. Art, I gave a five to. Thought the art was outstanding. Dynamic, I gave a two, leading us to an overall score on my side of three. How yeah, about I gave you? the writing a one, the art of, I gave the art a four, and dynamic like a two. I really like the art. Well, I mean, the art's good, but he doesn't have anything to do. You know? Oh, no, There's he's nothing. just got a bunch of people moving around. Yeah. There's so many faces at that in the Legion of Superheroes, and this artist took great pains to distinguish each one. Well, that's so, all he had to draw. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of an action scene with that dude, but the, but the most part, he's just drawing talking heads. The the work he did on Damien being asleep, that was, or for five pages, that was outstanding. How about Freedom Fighters number 12? Might as well, we done talked about Hitler once. <laughs> Speaking of Hitler. <laughs> boy, you know, when we started this podcast, I was wondering to myself, are we ever going to be able to do an episode where we don't mention Liefeld? Now I'm wondering, will we ever be able to do an episode where one of us doesn't bring up Hitler? <laughs> well, they make it so easy. So. <laughs> Freedom Fighters, number 12, by Robert Vendetti and art by Eddie Barrows. This ends the series. So I, we're giving a series score because this is going to be out in trade paperback in a couple of weeks probably about three weeks i thought it was a predictable end it was not overly satisfying to me and it really did feel like it was missing spirit it was not a bad read it wasn't a great read i feel there's a better iteration of the characters to be had out there any book that's not a modern day classic mm -hmm. you can do better iterations of it but i enjoyed the book for the, for the most part for what it was i mean there's there's no other way we're going to get these characters doing it like this and they sort of they, they did a good job with it i mean it didn't necessarily have to be 12 issues but i enjoyed it i think it may have been a fitted more from being lower than 12. I'm not saying six. I'm saying maybe eight. Yeah. There's no rule in there saying that you can't do a 10 issue miniseries or an eight issue miniseries. The overall thing I gave a three. Like I said, it's not a bad read, but it wasn't a great read. I'm not exactly sure what I was looking for in this book. Some of there, there's some very intense moments in it. When the good guys finally do rally, the rally was not really enough for me. The ending brings its own problems with it. The last page does. I just gave it a three across the board. How about you? I, I did a little bit better. I gave the writing uh, a three, the art a three. I actually gave the dynamic a four. I thought overall the package was a little bit better than the than the sum of its parts. So a 3.7. If you're drawn to this sort of thing, if you like alternate uh, dystopian realities where Nazis rule and then eventually get overthrown, then go ahead and hit this up. It, but it wasn't exactly the man in the high castle for me. Now we're coming down to the best two DC comics of the week. Batman's Grave and Jimmy Olsen, which would you like to discuss? We'll do Jimmy Olsen first. Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number seven, writer Matt Fraction, art Steve Lieber. It was a pretty good book. I enjoyed it. It has, it has, has uh, some good gags in it. I mean, it's, it's a little bit more, I guess, compartmentalized. And all the issues are sort of bits one after another. I enjoyed sort of the Calvin and Hobbes thing. It's, it's a solid book. That wasn't Calvin and Hobbes. That was Peanuts. 
Was it Peanuts? Yeah, I guess it was yeah. Peanuts. I don't remember. That, that was Peanuts. He was ripping off Peanuts. I, I appreciate what the homages he does. He's doing homages. He's keeping them funny, clever, and different, and he's still telling the story. And again, just like the last issue, this issue goes more to moving the actual story along than a lot of gags. It's still funny, and we get repetitive on this, but that's because it is one of the best, most enjoyable comic books out there. We both yeah. do. We still recommend buy it. I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four. A couple of things seemed a little off to me than normal. I normally give him a five, the artist a five too, and the dynamic is still a five for me. Score 4.7. I gave it a fours across the board. Fours across the board. Yep. That's a good call too. This is an enjoyable, enjoyable book. I can't say enough good things about Jimmy Olsen. I know we hit up Jimmy every time he comes out, but he's fun to talk about. And now we're down to Batman's Grave, number four. Warren Ellis writing and Brian Hitch art. Warren had said in a tweet or or his website update or something, and this is a direct quote from Warren Ellis, I don't think DC are completely aware they're even publishing this book. <laughs> For this to be a Hitch book, this book... Ha- and it coming out on time like this, and it's like yeah. 12 issues long. Who knows when this book got started? That's true, because Hitch takes his time on it. Remember Ultimates? Oh, dear God. That well, took see, forever. the problem with Ultimates, like, they would, they would like, release an issue of it. it. There would be delays, and then, like, once you piece together interviews, hey, we released issue eight. Hitch hadn't even seen a one single page of script from issue nine by the time we released eight. <laughs> Ellis is is a pretty good writer as far as scheduling and delay, you know, not having delays and turning stuff in on time. So he's probably completely done with this book. Yeah, Ellis is a wonderful writer and an outstanding idea, man. Yeah. He's just extraordinary. His entire quote was, I don't think DC are completely aware they're even publishing this book. So please do join us for more horrible extended beatings and more of Alfred being sh**. <laughs> The last panel of this comic with Alfred is all the evidence you need that killing off Alfred is a stupid thing that never should have been approved. Along those lines, I'm going to go ahead and give my score. I gave it fours across the board. This is a fun, entertaining, good, solid Batman story. It's not weighed down by a cast of thousands. It's just good. Yeah, I gave the writing a four and the art and dynamic a five. Speaking of Alfred's death, they've got a one-shot coming out called The Death of Alfred Pennyworth or something where all these different writers except for King get together and tell Alfred stories. In light of the listener email we got asking about Batman's sales performance, I now think that The Death of Alfred was meant to knock sales up there and not anything else. I, I doubt that he originally had that planned. I mean, I could be wrong. What do you think? I think he probably had it planned because he was like, I'm going to leave my mark on this book. I'm going to get Batman married to Catwoman and kill Alfred. Yeah, that's what and strikes me, too. That Not married to Catwoman. Anyway. And they're I, married. I, they are married? Didn't they get married? Like, they, weren't they waiting, waiting for some priest at a bar so they could drop on him and no, tell him to get happen. married? No, it didn't happen. They walked out. Oh, I don't remember. It didn't, the timing didn't line up or something. Right. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Alfred will be back. I'm staying by that because Alfred is in Doomsday Clock. We're going to move on now. Let's go to Dark Horse. Hellboy Winter Special 2019. Only missed it by 15 days, Mike. Mike Manola. Yeah. (laughs) Mike Manola, writer, Chris Robinson. Just an assortment of writers and artists on this book because it's an anthology. I thought it was one of the better specials to have been offered up. Yeah, they did it. 
good storytelling, whether or not you care about Hellboy. I thought it was worth the money. I was entertained. Yeah, it's very, I mean, there's only like one, Hell, there's like one Hellboy story and two other ones. Yeah, it was a really, really good comic. Yeah, that usually that's what the winter special is. There's something with Hellboy there just because we're calling it Hellboy. And that's it. Hellboy served his purpose in the one story. But the rest of it, the art is wild and out there in some places, but it matches the stories perfectly. That first story arc, the one with Hellboy, did you get kind of a Dr. Seuss art vibe from that? Uh, a little bit. It was a little wacky, but it worked. Hellboy Winter Special is fun. You don't have to know anything about Hellboy, necessarily. You just have to want good goth horror stories with a little bit of a twist. They're they're yeah. reminiscent of House of Mystery and those pulp comics that used to come out. Mike Manola you know, does a wonderful job in putting these things together. I gave it a four across the board. I think it's worth your money. Yeah, that's a fair score. That's my score, too. And then we've talked about Steeple before, and now we come to the end of the first chapter, but not the uh, end of the series. Steeple number five, writer John Allison, art by John Allison. It was an interesting little twist cliffhanger, I thought. It's the, the overall book is still funny, but maybe not as clever as it was in the beginning. I did lose interest toward the end, but felt obligated to follow this story arc through. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty well written. It's just, uh, I don't like it doesn't all quite come together. He does say something about it continuing in back. So we'll get it issue six, seven. I'll still follow it, but I think we're done talking about it. It was much more interesting in the first three issues than it has been in the last two. Yeah. Is my take on it. I gave this particular issue, the writing I gave a three, the art I gave a two, the dynamic I gave a two, overall score of 2.3. That's about a fair score to me. I didn't really, yeah. like the writing I gave, well, let's see here. Let me put numbers to it. Well, the writing's a three. He, yeah. does, he does okay. The characters I like, but the plot, yeah. he he just doesn't quite nail the plot down writing-wise. Art, like a two, it's not bad art or, or terrible. It's, it's it's fine for the story. And dynamic, I give it a three, I guess. Okay, yeah, and let me give you, a, a, for instance, the most interesting thing I found about this issue was the vacuum cleaner situation. The vacuum cleaner situation got a, a large amount of attention from me, whereas the characters were not getting the same amount of yeah. attention. Which means he had a wonderful gag, but the I think the characters were suffering. I liked it in the beginning, and now I'm not as hot about it. We'll keep tabs on it, and if it changes, we'll come back to it. Image Comics, Undiscovered Country number three. Writers Charles Soule and Scott Snyder. Artist Danielle Orlandini. It's a good comic. It is a good comic. Very good comic. The weirdness is not just weird for the sake of weirdness. Issue number three was the right place to establish that. There is a method in the madness. Yeah. And they really double down on the surreal cultural nihilism and it's paying off. I like where this is going. I like the setup to it. I like some of the tongue-in-cheek references about the Amazon-Walmart merger in 2024. That's one of the most realistic pred predictions I've ever seen in a comic book. Yeah. I mean, you... I'm, yeah. now, I'm now for certain that's probably actually going to happen. Yeah, by 2024, or in 2024. For me to have such a problem with Scott Snyder on Justice League... Boy, I sure do love his undiscovered country. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this book. It is well worth your money. Believe the hype on it. I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four. And I gave the dynamic a five. Score 4.7. Uh, yeah, that's my score too. Oh, what about that line? You bang on Nemo and he's offering him to fish to eat. That's pretty good. You bang on Nemo. <laughs> I also but, like that they, they seem to have an explanation of the why America is the way it is. So, 
Well, yeah, that's it. No. That's it. The weirdness that we're witnessing when you stop to think of it, 30 years isn't enough, but oh, we've got a setup. We've we got, got some weird time that. time thing or something. Yeah. Now we know. Yeah. Time dilution. But this was you, you want something weird. You want something out there. You want something that you don't know what's around the next corner. Pick up undiscovered country. OK. And then a book we have touted and talked about almost for every issue that's come out from Ahoy Comics. Second Coming, number six, with Mark Russell as writer and artist Richard Pace. This ends the story arc. We believe that there are more issues coming, that he'll have an, he's going to take a break, he said, and then he'll come out with issue number seven. But this concludes the story arc, the first story arc. Yeah, it seemed like the issue just is too fast of a wrap-up. Maybe he should have went to issue eight. Since he's coming back anyway, he could have t- took his time on it. Yeah, but you t- you, you like resolve the, the current Satan stuff. You do the pregnancy stuff. There seems to be too much getting resolved in this in this comic. It reminds me of uh, the last season of Game of Thrones. How it now, was that, just, we just got to get this out the way. Then we go th- th- this out the way. Then this is out the way. Oh, look, the end. Yeah. And here we are. This is our conclusion to this first story. Everything you said is valid. That was not my main problem with it. Throughout this series, I thought Mark was brilliant in the way he viewed the teachings of Christ from a new angle. He had said that he's he's not Christian. He's he's not looking, but he has. He is familiar with the scripture. He does know. He has studied what he was writing about. But I kind of felt it all fell apart in this last issue. I did think the resolution was forced. The tone being cheerful at the end with everybody bowling and but was actually quite dark and depressing when you look at the actual material. I think this comic illustrates the difference between knowledge and wisdom through the actions of Mark Russell, the writer, but not through the material necessarily. And what I'm saying here is he was pretty on point with Christ through most of the series. Played Christ up as more of a milk toast than I believe he was, but... He was making very valid points through this, and we're not going to spoil it, but to have Christ, even even as a character in this comic book, do what he did and the conclusions to come for it kind of dilutes any hope or the overall point of faith in his teachings. And this is something that we could sit and we could talk about for hours and hours and hours on end, but it was basically Mark was asking questions and then sharing with us how he saw the resolution through the character of Christ. But then Mark puts more of himself into this than he does the actual character of Christ, which is his purview, his writer of this book. I thought it hurt it hurt me personally that the ending did not rival the previous issues, because I, I was really doing a hard sell on this. Doesn't mean don't read it. It just means that this was not the ending that this book deserved or this story arc deserved. Yes, fair. I gave the writing a two, the art a two, and the dynamic a four. Score 2.7 on it. I gave the writing a one, and I gave uh, the the art a two and the dynamic a three. We've kind of dropped off second coming in the last issue there, but that doesn't mean I'm not picking up number seven to see what he does with that. I'm still curious. Mark Russell is still a bright writer, and I want to see more from him outside of this story as well. And now, once again, we come to Marvel Comics. Let's start off with Jessica Jones' blind spot number one. Writer Kelly Thompson, artist Matea de Illis. Sorry, I'm probably butchering that name. I, I thought it was a good start to a solo Jessica Jones book, something we haven't seen since Bendis was there. It's just that something feels off. Maybe it's Wait, the fact that... Huh? You, 
you say good start hasn't been there or Jessica Jones hasn't had a book since Bendis? I don't think Jessica Jones has had an active uh, book since Bendis left. I thought she had a book last year. Maybe it was 2018 she had a book. Yeah, I think it was 2018. Oh, there's there's a book in there somewhere. Well, this is the only Jessica Jones book I'm aware since Bendis left right. that Bendis wasn't right. I thought it was a good start to a, another solo Jessica book. Something feels off. Maybe it's because she has a kid or, or maybe the art. I thought the art was really good, but too clean for a Jessica Jones book. Yeah, it's that's a proper way to put it. I mean, it's, it seems like an odd complaint, but to me, like when you do a book like this, you like you need art to reflect it better, something that has a little bit more of a harder look to it. And this is just very standard by the numbers comic book art. Yeah, no, it's good art. It's really yeah. good art. Yeah, you know, you put this in any other comic book and it works fine. It's just that it, I think it contributes to the feel of something being off by it. Yeah. Jessica doesn't quite sound like herself and it's not great it's not bad i gave it a three across the board i gave the writing and art a three i gave dynamic a two because it just doesn't quite work together okay all right so you gave it a 2.7 and i gave it a three i'm not really feeling it i'd prefer bendis writing it no offense to kelly thompson i like some of the other stuff kelly has written and i know bendis handpicked her due to the letters you should wrote back maybe we can maybe we could get kelly on legion of superheroes and bendis <laughs> jessica See how that works. We get Grant uh, Morrison on Legion Superheroes. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Anything. So that was Jessica Jones. I it's it's a give or a take. If you're not a Jessica Jones fan, there's no need to waste your money. If you are a Jessica Jones fan, like I am, yeah, I'm going to follow it. It's not bad. Like I said, writing, art, dynamic, all of three. And Kelly Thompson is a good enough writer that she may just find be finding her sea legs with this. Yeah, we got to give it a couple of issues. I sound like I'm down on the book, but I'm really not. I really... This is an okay issue. It just sort of needs a little bit more work done to it. You come off of that. Bendis was so tied with that title and Maleev with the artwork on it when it was Alias. That was a really good book back then. Yeah. And I miss that. And I don't think anything with Jessica Jones in it has been the same since or has ever accomplished that level of characterization with her since Bendis's original run. Well, Avengers number 29... Writer Jason Aaron and art by Ed McGinnis. Avengers comes off like, and I just haven't been too much of a fan of a good chunk of Snyder's Justice League, but it seems just like a lesser version of the writing wise. It's just a lesser version of that. I wouldn't even go there. And I was thinking about Snyder's Justice League too. I was trying to compare the two and I'd love to, but I can't. <laughs> I have no idea how I feel about this book. You hate it, remember, because there's a car in space for some reason. I know I hate the car in space concept, but I don't know how any of this got greenlit other than Jason Aaron saying, this is what I'm doing. Screw all of you. I wrote Thor for seven years. I'm doing Avengers. I love Jason Aaron. I really do. But I do not know how I feel about Avengers. I don't know how I feel about this book. I don't know how this got greenlit. I'm not necessarily complaining. At least I don't think I'm complaining. Thor is infected by a brood. So now he acts like strongest one there is Hulk. I don't... I literally, still, I'm that. still confused about how, how Thor could be infected by a brood. I'm willing to accept that Thor can be infected by the brood if, if somebody would explain how he has Hulk's mentality. Because Cap literally has to tell him your strongest one there is. That's a Hulk thing. It's so weird. And Blade is wearing man thing or boy thing or whatever they're calling that piece of man thing has space armor and it works. So Blade is wearing wooden weeds, has protection against space exposure. 
Blade the Vampire Killer. Black Widow has no business in space next to Captain America, is standing in for Iron Man. Ghost Rider has a fully functional car in space that he's currently napping in. I truly do not know how I feel about any of this. And the twist at the end, the and again, spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to the show before, we spoil a lot. We have spoiled a lot, and we're about to spoil this. A pregnant human woman is bearing the star brand, and all of Galactus's... What are they called? Heralds. All of Galactus's heralds are going to kill her, but she's pregnant. I'm not sure what in the hell statement's being made here, but this is... Albert, you talk for a minute. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. I didn't write this comic. Just a bunch of nonsense, and we got Starbrand thrown in it, because why well, it's, not? It's making Iron Man trapped in the prehistoric era look more and more reasonable now. <laughs> I, this oh, that's is just, right. He's, yeah, that's right. I completely forgot about that subplot. I gave the writing a question mark. I gave the art a question mark. And I gave the dynamic a question mark. My overall score was three question marks. In actuality, my overall score would be two question marks because the art was a five. Well, see, I gave the writing a semicolon. <laughs> Man, I'm serious. <laughs> I don't. I read this. I looked over this twice. And I'm like, I don't know if I love this or hate it. I gave the writing a three, the art of five, and dynamic a three. This is the most messed up book I've ever seen in my... And they're all acting like this is perfectly natural. I mean, I understand Captain America being nonplussed about anything. But, dear God, I don't know if you should buy it or not. <laughs> you seem to be leaning toward buy it just to see what happens next. Might as well. So the woman has the star brand, but not the fetus, right? <laughs> is that how you interpret it? I don't know how to interpret it. Is this a discussion about abortion? <laughs> I mean, with if they're after the... Language edited for your protection. Be done with it. Oh, dear God, Albert. <laughs> I can't publish that. God. I have no idea what this book is about. I can't stop reading it at this point. And thank God Ed McGinnis makes it easier by drawing these. I think that I'm in on this book simply because of Ed McGinnis drawing these outrageous scenes. He's a great artist. Now, he really is. Is it possible that Jason Aaron has gotten into Grant Morrison's stash? No. <laughs> I mean, no, because these those things affect people differently. Because <laughs> if it was, he would talk about how stupid the Iron Man comic is. Speaking of which, Iron Man 2020, number one, written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, and art by Pete Woods. This is almost a good comic. I don't think it's anywhere near a good comic. I thought we were getting a new damn creative team. It's that stupid Tony Stark subplot of him being dead and AI thing or whatever. Like, if it wasn't for that, this would be a good comic. But that stupid subplot messes the whole thing up. You take the highest grossing cinematic superhero out there and somehow... Tony Stark is not good enough for Dan Slott to write. If you want Iron Man, go watch the movies, because he sure as hell isn't in his own comic. I'm beginning to like Fantastic Four less because of Dan Slott's Iron Man run. Yeah. It really, I'm, I'm about to go back and review how I feel about his 10 years on Spider-Man. I thought I liked that, but clearly I was mistaken. And the cogs, the cogs kill me. First off, Pete Wood's art is great in it. I love the overall art. It's the design with those cogs on his shoulders. He can't put his arms down. Well, that's not Pete Wood's fault. He didn't make that costume with cogs. Someone else did. No, and I said this before. The previous iterations of these costumes had of the Iron Man 2020 armor had reasonable cogs on the shoulders. 
they were functional. They weren't that ridiculously big. This looks like you got somebody came in and said, all right, that's a reasonable Iron Man design, except take out the cogs. And can we hire Rob Liefeld to draw two cogs to put on this costume? But Pete Woods gets to draw everything else. And that's exactly what it looks like to me. But I want an Iron Man story. And I would like to have Tony back. Not Tony that doesn't think he's Tony. Not Tony that's dead. Not Tony that's trapped in the prehistoric era. I want Tony Stark back. I just do. I'm sick of this. This is wearing on my nerves. I gave the writing a one. I gave the art a three because of the cogs. I would have given it a four, maybe a five. And I gave the dynamic a one. My score for Iron Man 2020, number one, is 1.7. I don't think it's worth the money. How I about- don't know. I give like the writing three, art a four, dynamic three. I like the art. And the cogs don't really bother me. The cogs looked awkward to me. And I think the cogs just became the focal. I, I did like the art. I just don't like the cogs. The reason I gave the art a three is because of the design on those cogs. That's not, how is that working? I don't know. How does any of this stuff work? Well, I can explain most of it off, but I think, I think all my disdain for the story is being focused on those cogs. Like this is overall, this is, you're not paying attention to what we should pay attention to in this comic book. I don't want Tony Stark partying out because he's an AI or any of the, I want Tony Stark back. I want the self-made man. I want the jerk that is Tony Stark. And I want him back in his regular Iron Man book so we can have fun with that character. If you want to do this, this is fine. Convince him to do a miniseries or whatever set in an alternate reality. I felt about Iron Man 2020 not as bad as I feel about the Doctor Doom series that's going on that needs to be canceled and forgotten immediately. But I just did not like Iron Man 2020. You want somebody to write Iron Man? David McLaney, I'm sure he will be happy to toss out a few Iron Man scripts for you. Again, I love Dan Slott on Amazing Spider-Man, but now I just don't know anymore. I don't know what's going on there. And we're going to conclude this week with Venom, the end, number one. Writer Adam Warren, art by Chumba. So I got this idea for Venom, the end. <laughs> so Galactus shows up to Earth, because that's, that's the only real Marvel comic idea I got. Galactus shows up. Yeah. He looks at he looks at Venom and, and you know he's looking at the symbiote and he goes, "Hey, it's that gum I like." <laughs> so he takes the symbiote, throws it in his mouth, and chews on it. And goes, "Hmm, that's some good gum. I'm not even hungry anymore." And then he just leaves, and that's the end of the comic. <laughs> I wish that was the resolution to the entire symbiote situation. <laughs> it's just gum, gum for Celestials, silver tracks. Silver Surfer leads Galactus to planet gum, (laughs) to planet bubble yum. Unlike Miles Morales, the end, the comic from last week, you got to give him this. A lot of thought went into this comic book. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, he really laid it out, and I, I was sort of surprised by it because I was sort of thinking it'd be. I, I kept thinking it was when I first saw it. I was like, well, it's going to be like Kate's, where it's just a bunch of inverted dark metal stuff, but with symbiote stuff. But no, this is a completely different thing. So much thought went into this by Adam Warren that it was almost too much thought. Yeah. The entire book is told to us in exposition. Venom more than gets his moment. Everything that Miles Morales, the end, failed to deliver, this book does for Venom. You had said last week that it's okay for these the end stories to be over the top and, you know, Miles Morales saved the world or whatever. Well, by God, you got your wish in this one. 
and quite, then some. Quite a thing. Adam Warren put an unbelievable smattering of every extended life theory out there from AI to biotech, everything, and he combined it all into a cohesive, mind-bending tale. And he also writes a far better Iron Man in this book than in Iron Man, than uh, yeah. is written in Iron Man 2020. I, I tell you this, I felt as though I got every penny out of this book. Like, I don't want to do too much of the plot because too much of the plot gives it away, especially if you're just not really expecting it. Yeah, like you get this is the most bang for the buck comic to come out in a while, probably. There is so much exposition and thought put into this, and it's entertaining. Step one moves to step two, moves to step three, moves to step. You don't have to be a Venom fan to like this comic. You just have to be a fan of comic books. And this is extraordinary. I'm not a Venom fan. I don't count myself as a Venom fan. I wasn't necessarily looking forward to this, let alone thinking that we were going to end with this book this week and that I was going to give it a score of straight fives across the board. Yeah, well, I gave it fives across the board too. This It goes above and beyond anything you'd really expect out of this, but out of a Venom the Yen comic. Hey, you know what? Put Adam Warren on Iron Man. Yeah. I remember the Iron Man series with when Dan Slott took over Tony Stark Iron Man. I remember it being pitched as Black Mirror meets Iron Man meets this meets that. No, this is Black Mirror right here. This is superhero Black Mirror stuff right here. And I got an email last time I said Black Mirror. Black Mirror is a TV show on Netflix. It's kind of tech-based Twilight Zone. If you haven't watched it, I recommend watching it. But put Adam Warren on Iron Man right now. He did an outstanding job on Venom the End. This was just a good comic. It was. Fantastic comic. Yeah. I think Adam Warren and Grant Morrison should go to lunch. <laughs> I'll probably talk about how much they hate Alan Moore. <laughs> Can you believe how they've ruined Batman? <laughs> Grant Morrison's like, listen, that Venom the End, that's a great comic. But you, you could have done something. You could have made Alan Moore you go to Leaving Planet and had him blown up or something. <laughs> Jeez. Well, we're going to conclude this week. I know I keep promising the Star Wars episode, but yeah, you'll, you'll, Lord Will of the Creek Don't Rise, you'll get it by uh, the first week of February. In February, we will resume normal media mess operations as well as the you know, continuing our weekly we're here for you each week we're just having to work around some things uh i want to thank you all again it, not only are the numbers better but we're gauging it on a weekly basis and each week in the same time span the numbers exceed the previous weeks so i can't thank you for that enough we're both very grateful to you please do share us with your friends push us down their throat <laughs> there are worse things out there, but there are worse things out there to listen to. And we appreciate you, all of you. Please continue to send us your questions. Kingdomcomics at gmail.com. Kingdomcasts, C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Follow us as Kingdom Comics and Kingdom Casts on both Facebook and Twitter. Instagram is coming. We do have a lot of things coming up. We appreciate y'all listening to us. Albert, you got anything to say? No, I'm good, I guess. All right, then. Well, until next week. I'm Stan Daniel. That's Albert Marsh. Tell him good night, Albert. Good night, everybody. <laughs>